are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a Chicago Cubs podcast. Everybody's here tonight. We've got Randall, we've got Jeremy, and we record this after one of the more satisfying Cubs victories of this 2023 season, a 3 nothing blanking over the New York Yankees in the Bronx, and a real coming out party for a former Yankee who's struggled up to this point this year for the Cubs. So lots to get to here tonight as we approach the All-Star break. Trade deadline items to talk about, Major League Baseball draft to talk about, but as always, the most important thing, just sort of where we're at right now with the Chicago Cubs. And the last two weeks have been tough, right? You get that one in five homestand. You go to Milwaukee, a really uneven series there that you split two and two. And you're thinking, oh, no, this team's probably limping into the all-star break. And then Jamison Tyone on Friday night in his old stomping grounds at Yankee Stadium, just brilliant as the Cubs beat the Yankees three to nothing. So as we record tonight, guys, it's like, oh, here we are with the Cubs, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, five under as we record tonight. You know, I just, I I don't know what to make of this team long-term. I had them left for dead after blowing that huge lead on Monday at the Brewers. And then, of course, they turn in two pretty nice wins, or at least two wins. I don't know about pretty nice. After that, they win tonight. I, I just don't know what to think of this team week in and week out. It, it's just hard to get any kind of long-term read on them. Yeah, five under, seven back in the division after the Brewers beat the Reds today. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm feeling. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, last night, which we were originally planning on going last night, I I, I was in a mood. And there, I, I probably would have had some rants about this Cubs team last night. Of course, you get the nice win, as Ronan mentioned today. It puts me in a little happier mood. I feel a little bit good, uh, better about this team. Nice to see Jamison Tyone kind of bounce back at that, you know, momentum moving forward. But like, it's we're in do or die time, like right now. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the in past, like for the past couple weeks, about them being on the brink. Well, it's almost like to me a little bit past the brink. Like this is it. You got to make a run into this all-star break. And then you got to make a run after the all-star break. Like I can't remember that 2017 team, right? They were under 500 going into the all-star break. There was talk about them selling a year after winning the world series. They came out on a run after the all-star break bought. So I, it's not there yet, but it's as close as possibly be. We need, we need to see this more of this going forward. Jeremy says they're, they're on the brink, you know, winning one game here and there winning, you know, game on game off game on game off. It doesn't do the team any good right now. The only way they're going to get back into this and, you know, that Jed's going to justify buying for this team is if you have a six and one week, you have a five and two week and you put two or three of those together, winning one game, losing one game, winning one game. It's not what the team needs right now, and it's not going to get you back into it. And I'm just not sure that the team quite has that in them if they're not going to be playing the Pirates for two weeks straight. Well, one thing they do have, speaking of playing the Pirates, is coming out of the All-Star break. It's Red Sox who are kind of tough, but they're not great. And then Nationals and Cardinals, I believe, are, I might have flip-flopped that. So those are two pretty poor teams. I mean, the Cardinals are not – I mean, they're still the Cardinals, you know, right? Whatever. But they're not They're not very good after watching the performance they put on the south side tonight. Well, it really highlights – like, you never want to say that regular season games are must-win, right? But it sort of highlights how important the rest of this weekend is. Because right now you're five, you're five under. You lose the next two games in New York and you're seven under maybe nine games out of first place at the all-star break. Very unlikely to me that that's a team that's going to be aggressive buying, right? If you're nine back at the all-star break and the wild card's pretty much out of the question, you've got a lot of problems there. 
you win these next two games and maybe you're three under, you split the next two games and you're five under, you still feel like there's a possibility. And it's a big ask going to Yankee Stadium, uh, whether it was uh, uh, you know the old ballpark or the new one, it's not something the Cubs have a history of winning in, right? So really just a, an important victory on Friday night, but it's, a, it's an important weekend here. You want to have a clearer picture next week when all the festivities are in Seattle about where this team is at. And I think if they're nine games back on Monday, there's a team that's going to be selling. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the first game they ever won in the Bronx in team history was tonight. So and we all saw what happened last year, which was awful when we went there. But I, it's just when you hear Jed's quotes like and you hear Tom talk about it, and I and I believe them. I, I, I do believe I think they want to buy. I, I, I think if they had their druthers, they want to buy. So I think if you get in that vicinity, they don't want to sell. They want to be there. So, yeah, five games back at the All-Star break getting a little bit better, put, just putting yourself, they want to buy. Cause I, I do believe, I think, I think Jed kind of knows it too. And I think Tom kind of feels it is if you're having to sell three years in a row, if you're out of it at the end of this month, like nine, 10 games back again, that starts to reflect poorly on the organization to me. Like the Chicago Cubs should not be sellers three years in a row. This is not a franchise that should be doing that. Diet. If we, when they trade you Darvish, we were kind of promised a small reset trading 2021. It's going to be a short, it's not really a rebuild. It's we're not going to go through the whole thing that we went through at the beginning of this decade. I mean, we could be looking at four years. It, who knows what's going on in 2024. So like, I think they want to buy. I think they do want to push. The team has to put themselves in that position. Yeah. I, I believe they want people at Wrigley and I believe they know the best way to do that is to you know, give the illusion that the, the team is attempting to remain competitive by bringing in uh, backup. You know, they've just opened a sports book at Wrigley. They want people in those wooden booths watching the giant televisions, paying whatever exorbitant cost, beer and food uh, costs inside that building, I'm sure. And it would be really ironic if finally this front office and ownership really, really wanted to buy, but they, the team just couldn't give them a reason to do it. That would be the cruelest of ironies. I, I well, just, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm just saying from my 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 own personal feelings and was kind of some of the things I probably would have mentioned yesterday is like and I just kind of mentioned I I'm not there yet. Like on Jed, I'm like thinking we need, you know, a regime change or all these things me personally. But like if we're going into 2024 and I don't really see a team that I think is is, uh you know, like at the top of this division because they have the highest payroll in the division. There's no reason they should not be beating teams in their division they're they were in fourth now they're in third they moved ahead of the pirates so to me it's like that that makes next year to me a make or break year for jed hoyer because that's look at it, we're, he's gonna be in this job for four years four years and the chicago cubs we were told when theo took over like we want to make the playoffs seven out of every 10 years well the cubs really they've made the playoffs once since 2018 in that 2020 season so it's not been good and so like i'm i'm starting to question this direction if the Cubs once again are selling and then we go into next year it's like oh maybe we have like a 79 win team that on a good year we can maybe win this division which is this really weak division yeah the Reds are coming but it's still a weak division I, I don't think any of these teams in this division are really that good I, nope. I mean look at that line the Brewers put out yesterday it, it was terrible the Reds have uh, played really good baseball yes. over the last month. That's complicated things here. They're nine over right now with a loss today, but they appear to be cruising right now in that division. And and that uh, Brewers series was frustrating too as a Cubs fan because you get a couple of late rallies, including in the, the finale there, the game that they lose to the Brewers. 
Victor Caratini, of all guys, with a big home run to sort of seal the fate there. But that one really felt like a dagger because if you take three out of four from Milwaukee, you get a strong finish in New York. To your point, Jeremy, that's what you're saying. Like, you've got the momentum going into the break. You get hot coming out of it, and you're buying. But that loss to the Brewers there to, to make that a series split, the disastrous homestand after the trip to London, it just feels like when they start to dig themselves out of a hole – there's a bad game or a couple bad games in a row. And then again, you're looking at a seven, eight, nine game deficit in the division. And not just that loss yesterday. What about that loss when they were up six, nothing. Yeah. And just an absolutely brutal. I mean, that whole series was ridiculous. They probably shouldn't have won that game. They actually did one where they came back down from three to one. They blew a lead when they were up six to two in the eighth, blew another lead, came back and won that game miraculously with Ian Happ doing absolute work out in left field. It's just, it's just, it's, it kind of, it's it's reminiscent of what happened in 2021, right? Where they mm-hmm. had the same period of time, basically really similar, thing, going to Milwaukee and just lose. Now they didn't; they're on, on a 10 game losing streak or whatever that was, man. So I'd give them some credit of battling back, but it's it's like this is it. As I as I said earlier, I I, I said to me they're like below the brink right now. Right now, if the trade deadline was next week, they're selling, and I I don't know if I. I, I still think it's a mistake to sell some parts, but they're going to sell if if the trade on they have to make these moves now. There's no more time left. They have to do it now. They have to win. They have to come out and they have to go on a run. I mean, and they went on a run uh, like three weeks ago and we were like, all right, they're back. Go to uh, London, have a great game one. And then ever since then, ever, I don't want to blame Trey Mancini because I do think there were some problems in that game that were Trey Mancini's fault. I don't think he lost in that game, but like ever since that moment, it's just been crazily downhill. I'll blame, I'll blame Trey Mancini. If you don't want to do it, I'll, I'll say that was the, the, the real turning point in the season as Pat Hughes loves to say it's Hall of Famer Pat Hughes. So if you don't want to do it, I'll do it. I got, I got no issues with that. Well, I'll say this too on the broader point. I think the inability to resolve the corner infield spots since Bryant left and Rizzo left has been a glaring problem for this team. And, and it speaks to, yeah, I, I've spoken a lot in the show about how I feel about Mancini and how I felt about Hosmer. Uh, you know, at this point here, especially if they are going to be moving some pieces, we need to see Matt Mervis every day at first base for the rest of the year, just to figure out like, is this guy part of the plan or not? We need some answers here with an eye on 2024. I also think it's pretty obvious what the story is on Patrick wisdom. I mean, the guy is striking out every other at bat months on end now at this point. And it's got to be a point here where the Patrick wisdom experience needs to come to a close. Cause he's actively hurting this team every day. He's out there. It is ridiculous to have the corner spots, the holes that they have. I mean, he had a nice hit today and they are RBI and he finally kind of broke out a little bit, but I agree with you. Like he, almost an automatic strikeout now after that first kind of month when he was so hot, he's still second on a team in homers with 14 and he hasn't hit a homer in forever. But it pains me to say that like we're missing Nick Madrigal. No, oh, geez. Cause like, think about it, like <laughs> especially in that game against <laughs> Milwaukee the other day when they had, they had two outs with, you know, it felt like wisdom kept coming up with two outs and a runner on third. It's like, okay, Madrigal's at least going to put a bat on the ball here. He's going to put the ball in play. I don't know what's going to happen. And Patrick's just swinging at everything in the dirt or just missing in the zone. And it's just, it's been ridiculous in that sense. But I agree. And and to me, that's kind of, you know, I, I, I don't want to be harping again, but that's kind of a failure of, of management. Like how can you go into a season where you're, you're saying you're trying to compete and I know they they brought in Mancini, they brought in Hosmer, but they don't have anybody to play these positions 
because you know when Madrigal got hurt, they had to take Morell out from the DH, put him at third. You now have to have your pitcher batting. That's an embarrassment to me. That is poor roster management. And I feel like we've had this kind of issue all season where like we're playing without at the beginning of the year, we're playing without a right fielder. We're playing without certain positions. And to me, that's that's just poor roster management. We we and that reflects poorly on the front office, I think. I I I I don't know. I mean, in my honest opinion, Eric Hosmer probably is making a few of these picks at first base that, you know, we have no first baseman that maybe on the defensive end, Eric Hosmer is probably better than any of these guys that we got rid of, that we kept. I mean, uh, over Mancini, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you, you need to not be too attached to Patrick wisdom. And this also goes for Mike Talkman, who I think has been more useful than Patrick wisdom. He's at least getting on base, but you need to not be too attached to these guys when there are options better than them down in the minors. If Patrick wisdom continues I don't even call it a slide at this point. It's a whatever the, the low version of a plateau is, a valley, I guess. If wisdom continues this valley, you need to be ready to give a guy like Jake Slaughter a chance. And if you need a center fielder, if you don't feel like Bellinger can still handle it every day, you move Bellinger to first every day. You know, I said it at the beginning of the season. It's a long shot, but you have a center fielder in the minor leagues who could potentially do some very useful things for this team right now. And I don't think they're there yet. I do think PCA will be at AAA after the All-Star break, after his Futures game appearance. Be ready to make moves that seem drastic if you want this team to be competitive down the stretch. You know, they might seem extreme. They might, how can you let this guy go for a clubhouse favorite, a fan favorite? That can't matter. You need to be ready to let a guy like Patrick Wisdom go and potentially have someone more capable take his spot if you want to compete. But I, well, I, I want them to compete. Yeah. I do <laughs> Go too. ahead, Jeremy. No, I just, I, I, I agree with, I don't think they should hold Patrick Wisdom for anybody. I'm just, I'm skeptical that of the Jake Slaughter is more capable. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, you give him a chance, but it's not like he's dominating AAA. Right. Right? And he's already and, 27, 20. He's like the same age as Wisdom. And as we younger. saw with Jared Young, you know, you come up, you hit a couple of hard balls, and then reality starts to sink in as the league adjusts to you. Uh, been tough sort of to see that stretch here. Um, I've got a number of guys that I think we have positive things to say about, from Cody Bellinger to today's starting pitcher. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has been fantastic on the mound here. But before we get into those guys, there's one guy that I've been a bit frustrated with, and I wanted your thoughts on it, and that's the Cubs right fielder. Say Suzuki, he is riding a four-game hitting streak, so maybe the bat is starting to come around a little bit, but a really brutal stretch there at the end of June. I'm disappointed, guys, in the production the Cubs are getting out of right field, and I think he has been uh, not what we thought he would be as the Chicago Cubs everyday right fielder. It's tough to see. He hasn't been what they've needed him to be. They were expecting yeah. slug from him. He's not providing that. He seemingly disappears for weeks at a time. Um, this, you know, the selectiveness is there, but that's been working against him because he'll, he'll take pitches on the outside that get called for strikes. And I don't put that on him, but that can have an effect about what a guy starts to swing at and about what a guy starts to take. And he's had a little bit of difficulty staying on the field. He missed a couple of games with what Ross called uh, small things didn't disclose. He had the neck issue that kept him off the field for the better part of a week. He hasn't been what they've needed. He hasn't necessarily been in there every day. Now, defensively, I don't have any issues with them. I think he tracks down most of what he needs to out there in right field. Offensively, I agree. He has not been what they've needed him to be. And that's part of the reason why they're in the spot that they're in. Yeah. I Yeah, I, I understand. Um, I, I agree. It's, sometimes it's frustrating to watch him uh, play because it hasn't really come together. I just still, I mean, 
look back and look at all his underlying data is like, if you look at his baseball savant page, it's pretty much all red. He's 91st in average exit velocity, 90, uh, 86 in max exit velocity, 90th percentile in hard hit percentage. Like it's all the data of him hitting the ball really hard is there. So I just feel like at some point, and I know it's going to really break out. And we've seen it a couple of times where he's gone on kind of hot streaks. Um, he might be in the midst of one right now. As you said, he's got a four game hit streak and he had one earlier in, in May where he kind of got, I just feel like there's been a few kind of injuries to him this year. He started off right with that yeah. oblique injury, missed a lot of time. Then Ross, we don't know exactly what the details are, but talking about doing small things. And yeah, I agree. Hit the performance. The results have not been there. It's not what we expected. It's not what we want. He's signed long-term. I, I just still look at it and I, I just see a man who's hitting the ball hard at all times. So I just feel like it's going to happen at some point. Like it's going to be more consistent um, and it's going to break out. But I agree with you as of now, it's been disappointing because he hasn't produced that power we've expected, but I, I just see it there. Like it's in there and I think it's going to come out. No. And to be clear, I have not given up on him. I'm a big say no, supporter. I know you weren't saying I'd given up on him and you know that the underlying metrics are strong is good because it means that he the processes are good and the results just aren't there. And it's a whole lot easier for the results to be where you want them to be if the processes are good, but they just haven't been there yet. But that's a great point, Jeremy, is that the underlying metrics are strong and you hope that they start translating sooner versus later. They definitely need it. They definitely need it. But uh, let's talk about some guys that have been playing well. What a joy it has been to watch Cody Bellinger coming back from his injury, slugging again, his ninth home run of the year in the Cubs' 3-0 victory in New York Friday. Uh, I'd say this about Cody Bellinger, who has played center field, he's played first base, now he's back in the outfield. If this Cubs team is selling, Cody Bellinger is making himself out to be a pretty good piece the Cubs have to throw into the equation there. You'd hate to see him go, but it's just so fun watching him when he's red hot. He's got a beautiful swing, and that power from the left side is great to see. Yeah, he looks like a man who just welcomed his second child into the world, a man who just mm. got engaged. He's he's free. He's happy. He, right now, it looks like the knee is better because he's been back out there in center field. Uh, a few times recently. Yeah, he's hitting again. And I think we were all big Bellinger guys in the offseason. We were all big Bellinger guys when he was hitting and before he got hurt. And again, if the Cubs are going to get back into this, you're going to need certain guys to to step up. Bellinger is doing that right now. He had a great series in Milwaukee. Like you said, he had a great game in New York tonight. And that's nice to see because he had scuffled for a bit since coming off the IL. So I'm glad Cody is healthy again or seemingly healthy. And I'm glad he's producing. I agree. Obviously, the, him producing is good in all facets, whether it does mean that they're going to trade him or if the Cubs are competitive. Um, I do kind of, you know, watching and seeing him, it's I, I don't want them to trade him. I want nope. them to win. I don't want him to be a piece. I'll be disappointed if they do end up trading him. And to be honest, like the fact that he has that flexibility, he can play center field, which they need. They need a, a mm -hmm. legit center fielder. But the fact that they have such a hole at first base. He can play first base, and if you need to find a capable center fielder, you can find a capable center fielder. So he gives you that flexibility. Now, I, I don't expect it with being a Boris client we've talked about in the past. I don't think he will sign an extension or, or whatever. I do think he probably likes playing in Chicago. It, it, he's obviously producing, so maybe he would you know, think about staying. But uh, So the fact is I, I would expect them to trade him if the deadline came. But I still think – like. He's the type of guy that if you're serious about competing this year and in the future, 
I would try to see to bring him back. I would be trying to, to pay him money because he can't play center field. Or if you're, you know, PCA is coming up, you can't put him at first base if you don't have a first baseman, which mm-hmm. it doesn't look like right now necessarily the Cubs have a first baseman unless Mervis just blows it off when he comes back. Like, so I do think those options are there. So I would be trying. I, I hope the Cubs are making the effort. Now, I'm not saying, you know, it's going to happen, but I, I would be trying to keep him around. I would do everything I could to keep him around. I'm I'm higher on that than I was not all that long ago. I don't know that it pays to extend him super long term, but if you're able to get him to stick around another season or two, you can get him in the lineup just about daily between first base, DH, and all three outfield positions, spelling whoever you need to spell. Uh, you know, question of whether he would go for that. I'm sure he wants to be a a feature player somewhere, but I'm I'm higher on finding a way to potentially keep him around. And you know, just on the topic of if they do trade him, the Cubs got back first baseman Bryce Ball from the Braves when they traded Jock Peterson, who kind of mirrors Cody Bellinger's trajectory very similarly, where he came from, where he's going, what he's doing. Uh, They got back Bryce Ball from the Braves two years ago, and they just released Bryce Ball. Mm. So even if you do trade him, it's not necessarily a guarantee you're going to necessarily make the organization better. And potentially you've, you know, given away, not given away, but traded away another good player who might have been willing to stick around. Now, this is not the 2021 team. Things are very different at the moment, fortunately. As bad as they are, they're still better. But it's a cautionary tale of sorts. Don't trade away a guy just to trade him. If he wants to stick around, see if you can find a way to make that happen. There's multiple guys on this roster right now who I think you should try and find a way to make it work. He's only 27. So, like, I I think sometimes we get lost in the fact that he's been a veteran for so long. Yeah. We think of him as older. It's like he's 27 years old. So, even if you're trying to give him to an extension sign, like, you're still getting his prime years. But, you know, I I don't think just being a Boris guy, obviously, I think he's going to test the market. So, I do think if the day comes, it, he will get traded if they if they unfortunately go down that road. And I, I think he's performing a little bit better than Jock. So maybe he gets more of a prospect back. But I'm just saying I, I do think he fits long term in your plans. And I, I I like seeing him as a cub. I'm I've enjoyed yeah. his time here. So I would he's like fun. to have him come back. Yeah. And especially with the DH in the National League. I mean so much of his value of course is his center field defense and what he can do out there. But he can play first base. He could DH you know, we're all very high on PCA for obvious reasons. And if the Cubs were in better shape right now, you might even be talking about bringing PCA up, putting Bellinger at first and going for it, right? But that's not where this team is at right now. So we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, Pitching. We talked so much on the show about Marcus Stroman being a, a very intriguing trade piece with the first half that he's had and where his contract is at. What about Kyle Hendricks, though? Has he pitched himself into being a trade piece potentially here going into the deadline the cubs are absolutely going to get calls on him you have a guy who is very reasonably priced we know the whole league has seen him do what he does for a number of years now he's a known commodity you've seen him come back out of the gate very strong this season i think teams looking for starting pitching at the deadline are definitely going to inquire about him very much a question of do the cubs listen to those calls. I'm sure they're listening, but do they take those calls seriously? Teams are definitely going to be calling about Kyle Hendricks. It's a matter of how inclined the Cubs are to move him. But to your point, Ronan, teams will definitely be asking Jed, hey, hey, what do you, you know, what do you think for Kyle Hendricks? The, uh, the the money ball style call, Brad Pitt, you know, three different lines. He He's definitely, you know, I, it's only been a short period of time since he's come back, but he's definitely thrown the ball very well. And, and it's kind of a question I've had too. Like, 
Because I could see also not the Cubs also just keeping him because they have an option for him next year and they could just keep him for next year. And we talked about um, the pitching woes that the Cubs might have next year in terms of entering next year and not necessarily having, you know, committed like they have a lot of holes in terms of if you lose Stroman, if you lose possibly Hendricks, you're bringing back like Steele and Tyone and Smiley. So you, you need pitchers. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, I could definitely see people calling on him. I think he's not necessarily a 10-5 guy, but I think just out of, you know, the respect and everything that he's done with the organization, the Cubs they'll they're probably not going to just trade him willy-nilly. Like they're going they would try to find a place he would be comfortable in going. So I do think that probably puts a little bit down on whether or not he gets actually traded because if he wants to stay, you know, I, I think it'd be possible that they do just keep him around because they have that option for next year. But yeah, I've been surprised about it too because I was not even expecting even have the conversation of him in this trade deadline or possibly talking about picking up his option next year. I didn't think that was going to be a possibility. So it's nice to see him coming out and performing. We we had no, no expectations for Kyle Hendricks this season. Question of whether we'd even see him pitch and to see him subvert those so far is very encouraging. It's been, it's been fun and he looks like he's having a good time, right? Not that he, shows it he doesn't obviously show the most emotion but just seeing him out there he's completely exceeded my expectations I didn't think he'd throw 30 innings this year let alone be pitching at a high rate you know it's probably the right move right if the Cubs are going to be moving on here it's probably the right move you know to trade him and see if you can get something back for it but that's going to be a sad day that's not a guy I don't want to see that guy in a Yankees uniform I don't want to see that guy in another you know what I'm saying and it's not even that I have a problem with the Yankees per se. It's just that he's been such an important piece of this organization that to see him put on another uniform is going to be a little tough to swallow. And to a Kyle Hendricks note, the Cubs have been making a point of pairing him with Miguel Amaya behind the plate for all of his starts and having Hendricks basically call his own game using the pitch com Miguel Amaya behind the home plate for hind home plate for Jameson Tyone tonight, same arrangement. I've seen a lot of people ask, What's Amaya doing up on this roster if he's not starting every day? Catcher is the one position where he's got a lot to gain from sitting in the dugout every day and being attached to the hip of a Kyle Hendricks or a Jameson Tyone and working on sequencing and how you'd call this and how you'd call that. And again, notable that they paired Amaya with another guy tonight, a guy who's been really bad lately. And I don't think Amaya is the sole reason Tyone really picked it up tonight, but that sure doesn't hurt his confidence to be a young guy out there calling the game or catching the game for a veteran pitcher and having that, that insight and that input back and forth. And I think that's significant. I don't think that can be ignored. And I just must've been so satisfying for Jamison tonight back in New York. It's Friday night at Yankee stadium. He has had a brutal start to his career with the Cubs. And we've mentioned here on the show that some of the underlying numbers are not so bad. It, the, the ERA is not good, right? He's been roughed up multiple times in the mound, but he's probably pitched better than the results had been. And it's just sort of a matter of time before that levels out a bit. This could be a huge turnaround for him. Uh, very satisfying, though, to see him do that with a young catcher. And and speaking of catchers, like... Jan Gomes, I'd hate to see Jan Gomes go because he's been such a rock for this team. That home run in Milwaukee, too, the other day was awesome. But you have to imagine that teams that are competitive are going to be looking at a guy like Jan Gomes going, this is going to make our roster better, and we are very close to winning a World Series championship. So maybe more opportunities are right here on the horizon for Amaya as the other roster moves shake out. I hope he is Jan Stames and not Jan Gomes. (laughs) Uh, But you know what? Tucker Gomes. Yeah, if the Cubs find themselves in this situation where maybe they don't 
sell en masse. Maybe Stroman sticks around, maybe Bellinger sticks around, but you still find a deal out there that's worth doing. I could very much see Gomes going for a decent prospect in return. And you, you hand you toss Amaya the keys to the catching and say, it's all yours now, kid, you know, do the best you can. I could, I could see that happening. That seems like the kind of mid-range deal the Cubs would make, even if they're not selling. You've seen teams that aren't selling, but they still you know, to give away a couple, not give away, but send out a couple pieces because the return is good. The Brewers did it with Josh Hader. They didn't really sell, but they traded Hader because the return was pretty good. So I could see that happening, uh, you know, a way of the Cubs building up the system a little bit more, but not selling full on because Amaya has begun to inspire such confidence from this pitching staff. Yeah, I would have to say that you'd have to have a lot of confidence in Amaya. And I I, I like Amaya a lot. I mean, we, we've talked about in the past. I think he, the fact that he's put himself into this position has been huge for the Cubs. Uh, I would say that Gomes does also, once again, like Hendricks, I think he has, uh, Gomes has a club option for next year. So it's not necessary that they have to sell him now if they want to bring him back next year. It's a pretty cheap club option. He's played pretty well. They can discuss that next year going into, you know, whether or not you want to, maybe you try to move on from Tucker Barnhart or something and go on with Jan Gomes and Miguel Amaya into next year. So uh, I, but yeah, if you get an offer, I agree with you, Randall, you, you would certainly discuss it and possibly move him. I, I don't necessarily think they will move Gomes though. I think with that option, they would keep him around. Mm-hmm. Uh, one minor league note before we get into the all-star game and major league baseball draft, uh, some roster moves Randall for the Chicago Cubs here, including a minor league arm. Yeah, the Cubs promoted Daniel Palencia from AAA. We saw him come over in the Andrew Chafin trade. The Cubs had him pitching uh, in the rotation when they acquired him, but they converted him to the bullpen earlier this season. The results uh, have been interesting, and there's our word interesting, but between AA and AAA, the ERA is a lot higher than you'd like, but you can trace that, especially for his time at AAA, to two or three blow-up outings where he just got absolutely you know, racky-tacked, to, to coin a phrase. Um, and the rest of his outings were a lot more solid. 36 strikeouts to 16 walks in 29 and third innings in the minor leagues this year. And as soon as you saw them convert him to the bullpen, that that light bulb went on. You go, okay, they're counting on him, especially promoting him to AAA. They're counting on him to potentially help this team. He came up uh, during the Milwaukee series, and what did he do but throw two scoreless innings, two very efficient scoreless innings? Uh, you know, it would have gone a lot differently if not for the defense of Ian Happ out there. But your, you know, you, your defense makes the plays for you and make you look good as a pitcher. So he pitched two scoreless innings for that first win in the the Fourth of July ball game, and it's another guy who can really chuck it up there. He sits upper nineties. He can touch one hundred two. You've got another. You've got velocity in that bullpen now and oddly he didn't strike anybody out in those two innings uh that he pitched for his first major league win but that's still a really nice weapon to have down there and hopefully he can be consistent he can harness that fastball because it's something we've talked about uh, i don't know that we've ever stopped talking about it the cubs have lacked velocity at the back end of the bullpen he was throwing 100 miles an hour in Milwaukee, yeah. and it's nice to see somebody, you know, coming up throwing. I mean, we've seen it a few times this year for a few Cubs pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour out of the bullpen, but, you know, it's nice. We're, I think we're going to see it a lot more often, too, in the coming years, but it's nice to see some of the fruits of that their labor coming up and seeing that max velocity on the uh, Major League Baseball team. And so, yeah, you know, and you were talking about, you know, that Doc Peterson trade. Well, Daniel Palencia came over for Andrew Chafin, and there's – an arm that the Cubs got and he today he was rated the number 10 prospect by Fangrass in the Cubs system. They're talking about him even possibly starting. So there's an arm you got for Andrew Chafin, a relief pitcher who, yeah. you know, came in and now he's, he's making an impact on the major league team. 
Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of uh, Carl Edwards Jr. in him in that the question is, do you feel like he can sustain that every fifth day as a starting pitcher, or is he more valuable to your team going out there and chucking pellets, you know, for an inning three, four times, an inning a day, three, four times a week? But that's, I think, a good question to have because he's useful either way. And if I'm not mistaken, he is only the second player acquired in that bevy of trades in 2001 to make the major league roster. Caleb Killian, of course, was the first. That has not gone terribly well. Hopefully, Palencia starts out a little stronger. But for all the players they got back in those trades, uh, Palencia only the second one to make the major league roster so far. Well, didn't uh, uh, Greg Dykeman, who was also in that trade with the uh, yeah, yeah, I think he know, made I, it. And guess... uh, wasn't Nick Madrigal? Okay, you you got me there. I guess we're talking <laughs> centerpiece trades. Dykeman not in the organization anymore, and you know Madrigal. I I, I guess I always thought of Hoyer. As being like the big piece in that trade. Oh, um, you're just—I thought you were just talking in general about guys who are in those trades making the majors. No, you—you've got me there. So I, I guess yeah, you've got me there. It just feels like he's only the second, just because uh, Hoyer. Old guys struggled. Dykeman struggled. All right, you've got me there. Well, something we could all agree on is the visual of Palencia and Amaya bumping their chests and hugging each other, really animated in Milwaukee. That was very cool to see, and maybe a little glimpse of what's coming over the next few years here for the Cubs. Uh, Also things that are cool to see, the Major League Baseball All-Star break. It's in a great ballpark this year in Seattle. Second time that that new ballpark in Seattle is getting to host the big game, which makes me think, hey, Cubs are due for uh, little All-Star activities out at Wrigley Field. But that's besides the point here. Three Cubs Part of the all-star team, Justin Steele for the first time in his career. Dansby back for the second time. Stroman back. Stroman's not going to participate. Dansby's not going to participate. So it's Justin Steele representing the Cubs. How are we feeling about Justin Steele starting the all-star game next week? What do you think, Randall? I think he should be starting the all-star game. I think he's been among the best in the National League, as the song goes. And you know, during the all-star selection show almost a week ago now, Jeff Passan, of course, was on ESPN's Airwaves, question of who's starting. And he said, well, Clayton Kershaw should start. It's the all-star game and Clayton Kershaw's. Well, Clayton Kershaw not participating now. So what now, Jeff? Uh, I think Steele should be starting. I think that would be a lot of fun for us to be able to say the Cubs produced a an all-star starting pitcher who started the game. I think that would be really strong for Justin Steele to be able to say. Uh, so I believe, he, you know, I'm a little bit of a homer, just a little bit of a homer. Uh, I think it should be the case. And you know, Rob Thompson, the uh, NL pennant winning manager of the Phillies, he, of course, will make that call at some point next week. I think it should be Justin Steele. Uh, before, uh, we, when we discussed this a week or a couple weeks ago, Ronan, I believe you pointed out, that the only Cubs all-star starting pitcher is Claude Pesso in the 1940s. Um, And recently I just learned is that Justin Seals high school baseball stadium is named after Claude Pesso. So how crazy. Oh man. Come on. It's gotta be Justin Steele starting the all-star game. Now he's not, I guess Claude Pesso isn't actually from the area, but he moved there after he was a major league pitcher. He moved to the area. He didn't grow up there. I'm saying, but he moved there after, later in life and so they named the ballpark after him so it's got to be fate as you said uh, justin Steele has to start the all-star game they could be <laughs> well, the only two cubs and one of them played at a high school that the baseball stadium is named after the other one that's a fantastic pull jeremy that's good stuff yeah. that 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 is a a perfectly crisp nugget you know right out of the oven a perfectly crisp nugget there that you can dive into really good stuff how did you find that too i've not heard I, that I, from anybody I think, else i think it was a George. i mean i i'm going to give credit to somebody and it might not have been okay. but it was definitely in an article for one of the beat writers i believe it was okay. jordan bastian on mlb.com i saw it 
Um, but it could be uh, one of a number of beat writers. I I can't. I'm gonna give credit to Jordan Bastian, and it may not deserve it, but I think it was him. Well, not all ballparks are equal, and I think putting it in Seattle is going to make for some good TV. Just the visuals are going to be nice. There are parks that have all-star games coming or have recently had them. I'm thinking like the new ballpark the Texas Rangers have. That, that There's nothing visually appealing about that ballpark on TV or probably not in person other than they're not baking in the sun there that you got that roof over the top for those hot days. It's a beautiful ballpark in Seattle. It's a gorgeous city. I just think the visuals from the home run derby to the game itself, all the other festivities, makes for some good TV. Uh, the only thing that's weird when you head out west is it's going to be so bright, especially in Seattle late. So that's one thing that takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah, Seattle is going to be head and shoulders above all the rest of the recent and future in the B-roll derby you've got the mountains you've got the the ocean out there now i've been to it was then uh safeco and now t-mobile i have been to that ballpark have either of you either of you ever been to that ballpark been outside it but i've not yet been in for a game i i have not been there i i i've been outside it as well like ronan has said but i've never actually been there for a game yeah i've been inside of it for tour unfortunately i was there just a little too early in the spring to take in a ball game there but what a beautiful ballpark what beautiful scenery around the ballpark i think that's going to be a really really good watching experience like you said ronan yeah. there's some some places where there's just nothing around the ballpark for the cameras to latch on to when the texas rangers get it you're gonna get a lot of overhead shots of the tin roof like having a home run derby in a home depot uh seattle i think is just going to be a great watching experience when you're not watching the all-star festivities i think there's so much for the cameras to to grab onto, and i think that's going to be really nice television and i just want to clarify before I, I did give credit to Jordan Bastian, that's wrong. You do not deserve the credit. Oh, the person no. who I should give credit for is Justin Steele, who tweeted out this fact oh, a couple okay. of days ago. Look at and Justin so that's Steele. That's where I learned it, and I because I just looked it up, and it was from a Justin Steele tweet. And here's the actual tweet. I'll read it to you. It says, uh, he, "It was Cub Zone at Cub Zone tweeted out Justin Steele is the first graduate from George County High School to make an MLB All Star roster." And Justin Steele retweeted this quote, tweeting, "While this is true, another fun bit to add to this is that Claude Pesto Senior." is who my high school field is named after. Same Claude, Claude Pesso that threw a one-hitter in the 1945 World Series. I believe he also was last Cubs starting pitcher to start the All-Star game. Funny and small world. So Justin Steele Amazing. gets the credit. Justin Steele chucking out nuggets and Mississippi fastballs, as his teammates <laughs> as his teammates call them. He's been a joy to watch. I, I really hope that's the case here. We should have an answer on this, what, in the next day or two. Yep. I would think they'll make an announcement on who's going to be starting. Yeah, they'll, I mean, they'll announce it probably Sunday or Monday because, you know, pitching has to shake out. They want to make sure that the managers don't pick a guy who ends up having to miss due to injury or due to yeah. pitching um, too close to the All-Star game. So I think they typically announce it uh, the day prior or two days prior. So, yeah, uh, we should have an answer to this in the next couple of days. And we uh, we wait with bated breath. Home run derby Monday, eight guys competing. Jeremy, who's your horse? I I, I can't not pick against Pete Alonzo. <laughs> I, I I mean, I like Luis Robert. He's been going off. I was questioning him earlier on in the season, but he's just turned on, gone to another level. But I just can't not pick against Pete Alonzo. He's just built for the home run derby, I feel like. I can't not pick, pick, pick against him. I will pick against Pete Alonso. I will take Vlad Guerrero Jr. Nice. as my horse. You don't bet against Vladdy. Uh, so, Ronan, I know you're a big home run derby guy. Eight-person field, who's your guy? Uh, yeah, I'll go with the hometown love there. J-Rod out in front of the, the crowd. That could make for a great scene. I, Pete would be the guy. I'm not putting a bet on it, but if I were to put a bet on it, 
Pete would be the guy because I think Pete is the one guy of the eight of them that is going to take it the most seriously. He, yeah. We see him in these home run derbies. And I love the fact that for a guy who's becoming a veteran player, he's embraced continuing to participate this and really going at it. J-Rod is the hometown hero. That would make for some good TV too. So, uh, But they, those two face off first. So it's uh, it's going to be one or the other, not both uh, in the finals. Yeah. yeah, and I will say that this field, it's not the strongest field we've ever seen. It's a lot of guys who have home run power, but maybe don't hit a ton of them. It, Luis Robert Jr., Adley Rutschman, Pete Alonso, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts versus Vlad Jr., and then Adolis Garcia, or Randy, Randy Arozarena. I think a lot of these guys are going to have fun with it, and I think that's going to make it more interesting. I'm curious to see kind of what some of these home run totals are, but uh, yeah, I guess that's the Derby is for guys who maybe have great power, but don't hit a ton of home runs and they can really unleash in a setting like this, Jeremy. And I, I just want to say the, the matchup I'm going to enjoy the most just for the pure Sean Freud of it is Adelise Garcia versus Randy Arazarena as both being Cubans who originally signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, who they trade away for no apparent <laughs> reason. And just to see them go off. And while they are having all these struggles, I think they would really like to have Randy Rosarena back, especially since Matt Libertor, not very good. I'm just going to say you can't throw a fastball at the major league level. And Adelis Garcia <laughs> now being pretty good, uh, I just just I just enjoy. I see all these Cardinal fans just absolutely going crazy about the fact that both these guys are all stars. They're both in the major in the home run derby, and they just can't handle it. Yeah, I, I heard a rumor that both guys were traded because they said Matt Carpenter's salsa was just ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together. And now that I've said it on the internet, that rumor is true. So I'm going to run with that. And I, I just want to say, I, I didn't know about this, but apparently from a lot of Cardinals fans I'm hearing, and I, I can't say if it's true or not, but a main reason Randy Rosarena was traded was because he live streamed after a playoff win a couple years ago, Mike Schiltz, like post game, just locker room, oh. just, uh, F fest, like cursing, like a storm, you know, just a normal, they're all pumped up and he's yelling and swearing and a Rosarina live streamed the whole locker room and she and they Schilt and a Rosarina, I guess both had to apologize for it. And of course they fired Schilt later and, uh-huh. they, and a lot of Cardinals fans say a Rosarina was kicked out of the organization for live streaming that celebration. Have fun with that Cardinals. <laughs> I'll put you both on the spot here. Single favorite home run derby memory in your lifetime does anything jump out at you i got yeah. one but i'm curious what's jumped out for you guys kyle schwarber in 2018 i maintain he should have won that derby and bryce harper's dad cheated and we never saw an <laughs> ounce of justice i'm going to hold on to that one till the day till the day i expire uh, so kyle schwarber in the 2018 derby putting on an absolute show hitting tanks to the third deck in right field out there in dc I have a few. Um, if I'm talking about single I, I i don't think i could not pick the one i attended so I'm going to go with uh, Albert Pujols at the time. I know it's Albert Pujols, but he set the record for 14. Uh, I, it was 14 home runs, I believe, in a round. It was the most home runs hit in a round ever at the time. And so I got to go with that. It's the one I was at. It was crazy. So I said, if we're picking a single one, I have to pick the one I was at. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the one that came to mind for me, uh, Sammy at Miller Park in 2002, a notorious all-star game because of the tie and everything that went along with mm-hmm. that. But when Sammy was locked in in those home run derbies, he's hitting the ball 520 feet. And Sammy took that seriously, kind of like Pete Alonso does. He was he was not smiling and joking. He was there to get a job done. I don't care about the steroids. I don't care about that stuff one bit. That was 
entertaining TV and the crowd. Go back, throw that on YouTube. Look at the crowd at Miller Park when Sammy was hitting the ball physically out of the ballpark, out of the stadium there. Amazing, entertaining TV. And I miss it. I miss Sammy. Eric O'Flaherty, a former Braves pitcher who's now a very entertaining Twitter follower, he posted video of that home run derby not all that long ago. He labeled it uh, pre-testing home run derby, so yeah. a little bit of commentary with that. But that derby, Chris Berman was running out of Wisconsin locales to to name as players were hitting balls 500 feet. Fond du Lac, Lacrosse, probably other places in Wisconsin. I don't name, I don't know any of them, but yeah, the the, the derbies were a scene back yep. then because you had this guy behind the mic just shouting back 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 and the i don't think quite think we'll see the likes of those again for better or for worse uh but yeah you know that 2002 derby 2003 2004 in houston where they're hitting them off the train one after another those were those were some good times and uh I, that was one i had in my head too uh ronan i would have said yeah. if i had more i would have mentioned that him hitting the ball out of miller park which is absolutely insane but yeah. you know don't overlook uh, Turner Field, I believe, where he won yep. the home run derby. That he was hitting some bombs. Uh, I remember he won the deep center field. It was like over the camera, uh, and then the camera turned around the center field camera. So yeah, Sammy won a home run derby, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, you're right too. He didn't win the one in Milwaukee, but he put on a show. I think he just ran out of steam uh, by the end of that. Uh, but amazing, amazing footage. Definitely something that folks should be checking out if they haven't uh, checked it out recently. One other thing here. Uh, that is now tied into sort of the all-star week and everything that's built into it is the major league baseball draft. It's coming up Sunday. The Cubs have the 13th overall pick. Jeremy is the guy here on this show, Mr. College baseball, Mr. Prospect. That's his thing. Jeremy, what are some names or who are you thinking may be in the mix here for the Cubs at 13? Yeah. So I got a list of names and uh, you know, we went over this last year uh, when the Cubs had a pick and what did the Cubs do? We went over, I had a whole list of names. <laughs> it went off the board, didn't take any of those guys. And uh, they, and I can't blame them. They took Kate Horton and they, they saved some money and they took Jackson Ferris in the later round. And both those guys have been pretty good. I would say, um, you know, some, a lot of the names I had were pretty good too, are performing, but still, I, I don't blame the Cubs. So at 13, even more of a widespread variance, right? We, we don't, we have no idea what's going to be on the board there. We, we don't know what the Cubs plans are. So the Cubs could, pick anybody so I'm, I'm but i'm gonna give some names that probably will be selected around that area that i i, I kind of like and some i've been you know have been rumored around to be with the cubs so i i kind of think they're gonna go with hitters more i mean i thought that <laughs> last year but they went pitching but i, I do think they're gonna stick with hitters so I'm, i'll start off with a couple high school hitters uh one i like is a guy named colin hawk i i i like him a lot he's from georgia he's a quarterback as well he's a third uh excuse me a shortstop uh, high school kid, uh, and he should probably stick it at shortstop. He's a plus defender, uh, very good athlete. As I said, he's a quarterback, a very good pure hitter, not quite a power guy, a power bat necessarily, but he's young, you know, a high school kid. Maybe he could develop that, but a solid going to make contact pure hitter. Another guy who's been rumored in that uh, high school kid is uh, Aiden Miller from Florida. He's a third baseman. A lot of people think he might be the best pure high school hitter in the draft, just wow. in terms of hitting. He's got big time power. He missed a lot of time this season. He had a wrist injury. Um, so didn't quite get a look at with the scouts, but he's probably not gonna be a shortstop. He's probably gonna be a, a third baseman. He might move into a corner outfield spot, bigger dude. He's old, old for the class. He's 19 already. So even if he goes to college, he'll be a draft eligible sophomore when he's time to come up as a sophomore. So a lot of teams, I assume like the Cubs, 
older kind of draft picks don't really fit into their models. Uh, models really like the young guys. Um, that's why you saw a guy like Colson Montgomery with a White Sox pick last year. He was 19. This guy, Aiden Miller, kind of reminds me of him. But Colson Montgomery's been pretty good. He was he, he was 19 years old, and he's, he's hit pretty well. Now, if we're going to talk about age, the next guy is one of the youngest players on the draft possible list, uh, Arjun Nimala. Now, he makes uh, waves because he's Indian. He's going to be one of the highest drafted ever Indian uh, baseball players or player of Indian descent. Uh, he's young. He's going to be only 17 on draft day, which, as I said, a lot of teams, when in their models, they value young guys. So that's something interesting to look at. Big time power plus power kind of expands the zone. He swings at a lot of things. A, a comp I've kind of heard is Alfonso Soriano. So if you think about like that type of build player, going to swing it a lot, stick it shortstop possibly, but it has the power. Now to get to more of the college uh, kids rumored to be around, you know, where the Cubs are going to pick. One of them I've seen mentioned is Jacob Wilson, son of former Major League Baseball player Jack Wilson. If you remember with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I believe also the Seattle Mariners. Kid who has big time contact ability, uh, not really much power. He's a shortstop, not really much power, but of an above average defender at shortstop, going to stick at shortstop. I, I kind of get skeptical of those types of guys because I feel like it kind of reminds me of like a, an Almora, a Madrigals, you know, maybe Castro, where you have guys that, Hit, they, they can hit anything, so they end up swinging at a lot of pitcher's pitches. But he's a guy that's kind of rumored you know, to be in the top 10, possibly might drop down to where the Cubs are. So we'll see. From Grand Canyon University, an interesting place to pick a baseball player. Uh, another, you know, another player off the top of my head right here, Enrique Bradfield, who I feel like would be like a Kenny Williams pick. Guy's got speed, fast, like 80-grade speed, elite defensive center fielder. I know we talk about PCA, but this is another guy kind of in that mold of just an elite defender. He's at Vanderbilt. He hits pretty well. He's not going to hit for a ton of power. I've actually seen one cop I've seen on him, Juan Pierre. Oh. Think about it like that. So, But in today's game, man, speed's going to be a factor because you get guys on, they can steal that second base. Look what Esther Ruiz is doing over in Oakland, like because steals have become so much more of part of the game nowadays. I think you're going to try to see teams get way more athletic. Uh, you know, he just to put some numbers on him, he hit 279, 410, 429 in the SEC this year. So, not terrible, not you know, not huge offensive numbers, but a speed demon, speed merchant, and kind of in that area. Now, one guy I've always liked is Jacob Gonzalez, who burst onto the scene as a freshman. Uh, he was on the Ole Miss team that won the College World Series a couple years ago. He's a shortstop. Kind of burst onto the scene as a freshman and then just never like improved. There's talks after his freshman year about him possibly going one one, and he's just always kind of put up the same numbers. He never really kind of had that step up, but he's been consistent. He's a shortstop. He's going to stick at shortstop. He could possibly slide to third base. Just to give you, he was in the SEC this last year. He hit three twenty seven, four thirty five, five sixty four. He's got power to be a shortstop. I, I like him. I, he's just a guy who's always kind of been there. Now, one name I've seen fans clamor for at kind of the Cubs draft boards, you know, everything is a guy by the name of Nolan Chanuel, who is a first baseman from uh, Florida Atlantic. Now, he's kind of I Brandon, you're going to like this one, too. I've seen him talked about with a Craig Council like stance holds the, the bat pretty high. I know Brandon's going to be a fan of that. Now, there's possible that this kid's the best pure hitter in the draft, just terms of talking about hitting like I've seen that put on him he had a monster year in, in conference USA he hit 447 615 868 slug 615 on base percentage but he's a first baseman he might not stick at first base 
there's questions about his position. It, you know, he's played some corner outfield in the past. He's not facing the top competition, Conference USA. He went to Cape Cod the year before. He hit 200 at the Cape Cod League. Didn't really quite to, there's a lot of, you know, so I'm kind of skeptical of guys like that. You get a first baseman who we've seen it kind of in the past. Like, look at Andrew Vaughn. Look at, I remember a kid named Brett Wallace out of uh, Arizona State. You see these guys that are kind of like stuck at a position, but you're like, hey, they're such good hitters, they'll hit. But if they don't hit and they have nowhere to go, it's kind of a wasted draft pick. So I, I, I'm i just skeptical. I mean, those numbers are solid. They're hit. They're huge. But that's not really the type for me. I, I'm not necessarily that guy. But I've seen a lot of fans clamoring for him. And then last but not least, I'll put one more name up. We'll go out of the hitters that the Cubs have been kind of tied for. We'll go with the pitcher. We'll go with Hurston Waldrip from Florida. Had a great Kind of this mode of Kate Horton last year. He had a great college world series. He had a great NCAA tournament. He kind of, I wouldn't say he burst on the scene. He's long been a, a guy, but he's, he really had a great postseason. Now he's pretty violent pitching mechanics. It, you got the head whack, you got everything. So there might be questions there, but he runs his fastball up to 99 miles an hour. He's got a plus changeup. He possibly has a plus curve and slider. Doesn't quite always, you know, had the command. He struggled with that a little bit, walks a bunch of guys, but he had 156 K's and hundred innings this past year in the sec. So he's got the stuff. He transferred from Southern miss. Uh, I think he'd be kind of back in that Kate Horton mold. Kind of uh, we've seen how the Cubs have been with the, we've talked about it with their minor leagues. They've been able to develop velocity. They've been able to develop kind of, you know, he just needs that command to work on. So those are just eight names that I've mm-hmm. seen you know, with the Cubs, eight names, some of them are names I personally like that are in that area, but I would not be surprised if there are other names that the Cubs go after, like Thomas White, Bryce Eldridge, high school pitchers. Uh, there's some other names, Matt Shaw from Maryland, who's going to possibly a second baseman. So there are definitely other names that could be taken at 13, but I thought I just put like eight names out there that should probably be around the area and yeah. they're interesting names. And so Hopefully they take one of those guys and I look like I look kind of smart for once, you know, as opposed to me listing seven guys last year and they go completely off the board, even if guys like Brooks Lee and Termar Johnson and Cam Collier are all top 100 prospects right now that I mentioned last year. Jeremy, it's a it's very tough and it depends what other teams do and it depends right. sort of it's it's not just who you take in the first round to, but you're trying to determine how you want to spend your money. And that also it's not like the best 12 guys, if there's even a consensus on that, which there isn't, it's not like those guys are picked in the first 12 picks. It's more complicated. But you're a betting man. You're in that DraftKings sportsbook. Put your money down right now. What guy do the Cubs take at 13? Of all those guys you named, who do you think is most likely for them to take? If I'm a betting man and I'm putting my money down, there's a lot of names here that I can see them taking. <laughs> I'm sweating, gonna go folks. with. I'm not going to go with the one I like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Jacob Wilson. If he's there, I think they take him. He's been high on lists. He was mocked there today, I think, maybe by Jim. Somebody had him mocked there today. Uh, I, he's got that contact ability. He's, he, he's going to stick at shortstop. I'm going to go with Jacob Wilson. Uh, that's who I'm going to go with, Grand Canyon University. Uh, I'm going to go with him. Randall, my question for you regarding the draft is, uh, will you be putting out like a number and name mock-up depending on the player the Cubs take? And do you go with the default like one for the first round draft pick? Is that sort of your thought process? We'll see. Have a lot to do with uh, where I am and what I'm doing. If if I'm sitting at the computer, it's possible. Uh, When I do that, what I will typically do is try and track down the guy's college number 
uh, or his high school number, um, if only because I think that's a little more visually interesting than just slapping a number one or maybe like a 23 for 2023 on a guy's jersey. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of the jersey these guys, I, I imagine, hope they are wearing someday. You know, you're a, a pitcher. You hope to be wearing 22 or 34 or 44 or some other great pitcher's number. You're a, an infielder. You hope you're wearing a low number, like number two, number five. So, you know, it's the number that these guys have probably picked or kind of done good work in at their level. And that's just more visually interesting to me than slapping the generic number one or the year on a jersey. I do want to say something about this draft. Um, and I agree with you I with Randall completely. Um, but uh, you mentioned, Ronan, that it's not about the top 12 guys. It's not even about the number one guy. It's about, you know, bonus pools and all this stuff. We're hearing from Pittsburgh, from all the reporters, and it could be misinformation, that the consensus number one pick in this draft, Dylan Cruz, yeah. might not even really be kind of on their board. They might not want Dylan Cruz because his bonus demands are so high. And so that's a guy who might drop, you know, because they might look at – uh, uh, a Wyatt Langford who from Florida, who's kind of similar, going to be cheaper. And then you can get kind of a more. Now I think it would be a mistake. Cause I think Dylan Cruz yeah. is stud. the guy's like in the LSU can play center field uh, playing in the sec. And he's, he has like a 700 OP, uh, excuse me, slugging percentage. And he's a hitter, whatever, but you know, that's what we're seeing. So, and then you have Paul Skeens, who's been one that probably put together one of the top five pitching seasons, uh, you know, for a draft prospect ever, you, you're talking Mark Pryor, Steven Strasburg kind of stratosphere. He might go number one. So that I, I, you, we should, you, I do want to make that point that you just made that like, it's not about who's the best prospect. There's a lot of other factors out there and yeah. you can see maybe the consensus number one prospect, Dylan Cruz, he might go number three. I don't think he'll slide to 13. I hope he slides to 13, but he might not go in the top two picks. Yeah. Well, it, it's so different than the other, big drafts that generate a lot of media attention here in the U.S. Of course, the NFL draft, you get 100,000 people going out to a field, which is totally insane to me. The NBA draft, you're drafting guys that you're putting on an NBA roster for the next season. Totally different ballgame in Major League Baseball, but I'm looking forward to it. It adds to the fun, I think, around the All-Star week. I don't know when the optimal time is for Major League Baseball to plan this draft. I think it's better than like before the College World Series like it used to be, but It'll be fun to see who the Cubs take and then add another name to the list of prospects we'll be watching the next few years. No, I, I do like that they have integrated it kind of as part of All-Star Week and you just get to mainline baseball from Sunday through Tuesday between the Futures game, the draft, the Derby, the All-Star game. I do kind of like that they've moved it. And Ronan, like you said, the MLB draft is so different. The NFL, you have bowl season. You have uh, all of these prospects in front of a camera for a full game. NBA draft, you get the tournament where, again, a lot of guys are at least getting some run in front of a camera. Even in the NHL, where you get these consensus number one overall guys who are going to contribute immediately, like Connor Bedard will of your Chicago Blackhawks. Just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, MLB so different. Even the you know your top pick is probably a couple seasons away from contributing. And like you said, you have to worry about the slot bonuses. You have your draft pool that you have to manage. It's so different than the other drafts. And many people will say that makes it better. It's it's less straightforward. It's more of a puzzle that you have to manage, and that's what makes baseball better. I will say, uh, not that it will happen, <laughs> but Paul Skeens, the, the top pitching prospect, he threw a ton this year. Whoever drafts him is going to shut him down immediately. But if they wanted to, they could probably put him in a major league bullpen right now, and he would be perfectly fine out there.
we've seen that too. Guys that have a quick turnaround through the minor leagues before settling in with uh, a, a team and injuries are always a concern. Yeah, Finnegan is Brandon Finnegan who pitched yeah. in the College World he Series and, and the World major Series. leagues in the same season. So yeah, it does happen. Well, I've got a real quick aside before we get some weather and then two quick odd notes to bring this podcast home. But we were talking about numbers a minute ago here, and I was wearing a jersey the last couple of days here in Denver with the number one on the back. It's my Chunichi Dragons Kosuke Fukudome jersey. But I wore it to two events and got two very unique reactions to it, and I wanted to share it with you all. Uh, Last Wednesday, Dodgers-Rockies at Coors Field, a crazy hail delay, had the game not start till 8.30 p.m., in the upper deck, and this woman flags me down. She's from Japan. She goes, have you that? been to Junichi? Have you, and we're, she's asking me all these questions, and I'm like, lady, I, I'd love to go there. I love the ball player. I love the jersey. I thought that was pretty fun. Then a couple days later, I'm in Boulder for Dead & Company, a little Grateful Dead fun up there. They've got a pre-show festival called Shakedown Street. Randall, you can get anything you want on Shakedown Street. So you may have been a little bit uncomfortable there on Shakedown Street, but I had the Fukudome jersey on, and no joke, a guy with his girlfriend, couple rows behind us, shouts out, holy crap, that guy's wearing a Fukudome jersey at a Dead & Company concert in Boulder. This is incredible. And he goes on <laughs> to tell his girlfriend about 2008, the home run against Gagne, and here I am bringing the hippies and the Japanese folks together here in central Colorado. It was really, really fun wearing that jersey the last couple of days and eliciting some reactions from well, folks. Ronan, don't ever let it be said you're not a uniter of peoples. And you talk about how you get whatever you want at the Shakedown Street. Sounds Shakedown like the, Street. Yeah. You know, the lower levels of Coruscant. Somebody go, hey, you want to buy some death sticks? You can buy some things there, Randall. Uh, but very peaceful. Everybody was getting along. But you can you can buy some things on the Shakedown Street. That's for sure. And just to bring the uh, the Star Wars reference full, uh, you know, you got the Wookies on and Coruscant, but you got the Wooks at the Folsom Field. Yes. <laughs> oh, and they were out there, Jeremy. Yeah. It was uh, quite the scene. Three nights in Folsom Field sold out. Just amazing, amazing visuals up there in Boulder uh, as that iteration of the post grateful dead brings their uh, tour to a close here just a couple more shows they're actually ending at the san francisco giants ballpark next week so that'll be cool for them but san francisco obviously sort of the epicenter for the grateful dead back in the 60s and the 70s and dead and company is going to bring it home there so uh pretty neat stuff i think on that front um i i did also notice there were other cubs jerseys at Dead & Co. Uh, there was a, uh, I saw a Rizzo out there and I saw a Bryant out there. I was looking for a Sammy, but you know, younger folks here with the more recent players. Randall, we got two more games till the break. All-Star festivities next week in a retractable roof stadium. But what are we looking at weather-wise here over the next couple of days? Well, blessed as we always are to have weather provided to us uh, again this week by at Alexander Hall. That's the handle of one Alexander Hall. Makes sense to me of Cubs weather uh, found at the handle at Cubs weather. Again, more sensible decisions being made. Alexander provides the weather for us, the series vibe. We are one game down already, but it's a standard summer here in NYC. Alexander, of course, based in New York City, a daily outside shot at a thunderstorm increasing by Sunday. Some of the storms could have heavy rain. He describes it as warm 
warm and nasty humid, which I asked about this. Like, does it really get more humid in New York City versus Chicago? And he says, New York City, you get the tropical moisture off the ocean sometimes. And that makes it just all the more worse, which I did not realize. So I learned something. The winds, not much all that of not all that much of a factor, but variable anyway, with all sorts of sea breeze fronts. There he goes, the ocean wind and thunderstorm outflows around until Sunday when things pick up a bit as a cold front near. So the remaining two games in this series, Saturday is a 12.05 central time start. It will be 90 degrees. It will have that unique New York humidity with an outside shot at a thunderstorm and light winds. And then Sunday, 12.35 central time start, 83 degrees with increasing clouds and a coin flip chance of a thunderstorm storm with winds picking up out to left field corner or the left side at 10 to 20 miles per hour. And then Alexander, of course, nice enough to provide us with the forecast for All-Star Week. Of course, T-Mobile Field in Seattle is retractable roof. You always do worry about the All-Star festivities uh, and weather because there's no great way to reschedule anything. But even with the retractable roof, I am delighted to report, courtesy of Alexander, that outside from keeping an eye on the wildfire smoke, which we all deal with this summer, he can't think of a single hitch for the weather in Seattle. It will be a dazzling weekend showcase for the Emerald City out there in the Pacific Northwest. So for the Futures game, it will be uh, temperatures in the low 70s to upper 60s, clear skies and light winds out to left field at 10 miles per hour. The Home Run Derby, the big event, Monday, 7 p.m., uh, low 70s to upper 60s again. It'll be clear skies and light winds again. And then, of course, bring it all home with the All-Star Game, the Midsummer Classic, 7 p.m. Tuesday again. Low 70s, upper 60s, clear skies, and light winds. So thank you, Alexander, as always. Be sure to follow at Cubs Weather for all of the insight from Alexander, from Andrew, from Colin. Nice enough to provide us with the weather every week. We talked at length about how beautiful of a city and a ballpark Seattle and T-Mobile Park is. Uh, out there in Seattle, it sounds like it will be a perfect weather week to showcase one of the great cities of the Pacific Northwest for MLB purposes. Hope it's good. Hope it's good visuals out there. And uh, let's get a show here in the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. And fingers crossed, it's Justin Steele on the mound for the National League there on Tuesday night. <laughs> All right, two things here. <clears throat> Pardon me. As we bring the show to a close, we saw a perfect game in Oakland, what, 10 days ago or so. <laughs> Jeremy, you ran the numbers. The lowest attended perfect game. What do you have for us? Yeah, it was something Randall and I were talking about when we saw that. But I was just curious, like, what was the lowest attended? Because I was imagining when Domingo Herman threw that perfect game, like there can't be that many fans in Oakland, but I was surprised. There was like 12,000. I assume mostly Yankees, but we looked it up. The lowest ever perfect game or excuse me, lowest attempts for a perfect game happened in Oakland. It happened in 1968. The first year of the Oakland athletics since after they moved to Kansas city in Oakland, Alameda County Coliseum catfish hunter threw a 107 pitch, 11 strikeout, perfect game. Uh, they won, uh, excuse me. They won the game against the Minnesota twins four to nothing. Uh, there was only 6,298 in attendance, uh, back then on May 8th, 1968. So probably not the best weather necessarily in terms of warmth, but, uh, it's just kind of funny. We were wondering what the lowest ever perfect game was. Cause I was like, there can't be that many fans in Oakland. Well, the, the lowest attended perfect game happened in Oakland. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And it would have been lower if it wasn't the Yankees playing Oakland this time. Obviously the Yankees go out there and you're going to add a couple thousand or, or maybe five, 10,000 yeah. extra people out to the ballpark than you would normally see. Uh, Yankees are in Denver next week and boy, the Rockies ticketing and marketing efforts are just, uh, it's all out there they, and they will have very, very big crowds over at Coors Field to watch that awful team take on 
the Yankees. Uh, one other thing here, our buddy Sean Holland, who is fantastic. You should follow him on all the socials that you folks are still on. You should listen to his podcast, too. They're all really good. He, like us, is getting into the Immaculate Grid baseball game, ImmaculateGrid.com. If you're on social media, you've seen it, you've heard about it. But his question to us, who is the most obscure Immaculate Grid Cub you have used? Randall, you go first. So, uh, you know, I don't know if this counts. I don't know if it had to be in a Cubs square, but I used this gentleman uh, yesterday, and that is Nephi Perez. Oh, great. Yeah, Cubs. I say great in quotes. Cubs infielder. I actually used him for a combination Colorado Rockies, Detroit Tigers square, but he is still very much a former Cub uh, ingrained in our consciousness because we are uniquely damaged in that regard. And so I will go with Nephi Perez as my most obscure immaculate grid Cub. I like it. I used Nafi Perez in that same square, Randall. I did it, but he's not going to be the one I'm going with. And I, I actually used, I feel like I used Billy Williams in the square once, and I was stunned at how little it was. Uh, it used Billy Williams, it was like 0.6%. But to me, I think I'm going to go with a guy I used the other day when the Cubs, I think it was Cubs Orioles, I put him in. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if he is the most rare guy I've used, but just off the top of my head, he's, he's pretty rare. I'm going with Brian Mattis was the name I put wow. there. Wow, uh, that's a good great, call. The great uh, that great game against Seattle a few years ago where he started it was absolutely terrible and I was high on him I'm like yeah this guy was the number four pick in the draft on San Diego he like he didn't really make it with Baltimore but he's gonna make it with the Cubs because we're good like that we can build these guys up like Jake Arrieta and it was terrible and he was gone but Brian Mattis you'll you'll live on in my immaculate grid square that's, that's a great. real good pull Jeremy. Uh, the one that came to mind for me and I, I've had a couple of good ones but the one was actually a Cubs Marlins. Any guesses on who I threw out there? It was a Cubs-Marlins square. So a guy who played for the Cubs and played for the Marlins. And it was very low. It was less than a, uh, you know, it was like a fraction of a percent that Ooh. had him. Any I'm guesses on up. who it might be? I blocked out a lot of these. I, for that one, I think I used Justin Ruggiano, but my guess will be good. Chris Volstead. You know, I, both of those are good. Felix Heredia Ooh, was the wow. guy that I chose to go with. The uh, former lefty, 49, I think he wore as a Chicago Cub, Felix Heredia. That was the guy that I was thinking, and that was pretty obscure there for a former Cub and a former Marlin. Yeah, there was one, I think, one the one with the Cubs Marlins. was like Cubs Marlins, Cubs Nationals. I was just naming like the 2013 outfield. It was like yeah. Justin Ruggiano, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 Nick, Nate Sherholtz. Like, I'm like, I'm trying to get low scores here, people. <laughs> It is satisfying, though, when I can throw a Sammy in there. Uh, Hawk came up the other day. I think it was – I mean, that was my answer for the Cubs and Nationals, and I was thinking of him as an expo, of course. But anytime you can get a great name from the past, it's nice to throw it in the mix there. And Felix Friday was a good one for me. I used Hawk for Boston Red Sox, Florida Marlins the other day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a hot game. Everybody's playing it, ImmaculateGrid.com. And uh, I, I, we got to do like a – a BTYL Immaculate yes. Grid setup, Randall. Something to be thinking about here over the next couple of days. And speaking of that, just want to let folks know a bit of a programming note here. Know me for a couple of weeks. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of happy folks to hear that. Just Randall and Jeremy are going to be holding it down. I know Randall's especially happy to know that I will be nearly 4,000 miles from Randall when I'm out in Europe for the next two weeks or so. So, guys, let's get some Cubs wins. When I come back here at the end of July, I want to be talking about buying at the deadline, not selling. And I'm holding you both accountable for the Cubs playing some good baseball here and it not be another year of them selling at the deadline. Yeah, Ronan, my question is, uh, how's that messaging? How's that cell phone reception going to be out there? So where are you headed, Ronan? So you got some travel coming Patrick up. Patrick Wisdom's castle. 
Yes, we are <laughs> staying at Patrick Wisdom's Castle for all two weeks. Um, no, Scotland for a couple of days and then over to Ireland for about nine days and then back to Denver. So it'll be good. I got a lot of family in Ireland, particularly Northern Ireland, and it'll be good to see them. And I have not been to Ireland since 2003. I've never been to Scotland. It's going to be very special to get out there and, yeah, see the uh, the, the homeland, right, The, the where, where my mom is from and where a lot of families still lives. Well, you, you have a responsibility to grow baseball in oh, these yeah. places you're visiting. I want to see Team Ireland in that next World Baseball Classic because I think that would be a day one jersey purchase well, for you. To your point, the Fukudome jersey is being packed. Of course. So that be going to Ireland. I'll get a nice shot there. We'll throw it out on the uh, – Social media there, BTYL podcast. We'll get it out there and uh, definitely get some Kosuke Fukudome over in Western Europe. I think that sounds great. Yeah, we made an effort to get you on tonight just so that we can yeah. make sure that we you get enough of you and then you're on your way. But yeah, those that sounds like a cool trip. I mean, those are two places I've always wanted to go to, never had a chance to go to yet so far. I uh, have been to England, but never been to Scotland, never been to Ireland. But uh, yeah. I, I hope you have a fun trip and I hope you do come back with some Cubs making some moves in a positive direction. Yeah. Well, at least it's easy to keep track of what's going on with the Cubs and we're out there on um, the last time. But one other memory I have, cause I was last there in 2003. Uh, it, maybe you guys remember this. Mark Pryor had a game where he struck out 16 batters. Yes. I think it was the Milwaukee Brewers. It was a division opponent. The Cubs lost that game. And I remember the old internet 2003 in Ireland, pulling up the box score going, all right, we got good news, bad news. The good news, Mark Pryor struck out 16. The bad news, Cubs didn't win that ball game. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully not a whole lot of that. But uh, just one of the things I was thinking about going back to 2003. I, I just want to say, speaking of six, those that kind of stat, uh, striking out 16 batters and losing, I, the White Sox this season have done something where they've struck out like 14 batters eight times in a game of the opposing team, and they've lost every single game. And amazing. it's insane. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's been brutal, but they beat the Cardinals tonight, so we can celebrate that. Guys, hold it down. Go Cubs, go. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. I know you guys will be back post-All-Star break, uh, but let's get some wins here and have some positive momentum as the three All-Stars make their way out to Seattle. We'll see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.